you know what, sometimes I just don't have to fit in. You know, in place of saying, okay, I'm feeling excluded at an event, why can't I create my own event? Why can't I create my own wine? Why can't I create my own space? So for me, you can say Kumusha was in bit a rebellious action. Like, dude, <laughs> you know, this is you've who got I am. the wine, you've got the grabs, and you know, we can create our own experiences and be comfortable in that space and maybe then reintegrate. That's Tanashi Namadoka, my guest today, and this is the Generation Africa podcast. I'm your host, Tim Alburn. Generation Africa is a podcast dedicated to the game changers, thought leaders, social activists, and entrepreneurs driving growth and creativity across the African continent. Tanashi is the embodiment of an entrepreneur. He's one of the few black wine owners. His company, Kamusha, makes a delicious wine. And, you know, today we talk about Tanashi's story from coming down from Zim as a refugee, basically, to South Africa, starting off baking bread in a supermarket to today owning his own wine company. It's an amazing story. It's super inspiring. And I really hope you enjoy it. Tanashi, thank you so much for joining me today. I mean, I was I was speaking to a, a good mutual friend of ours, Alain uh, Wiesenbacher, and he said, like, I, I told him about the podcast and he's been listening from the start. And he was like, Tim, there's uh, there's one guy you've got to talk to, and it's Tanashi, and he's got a he's got a he's got a he's got his own wine brand, and he's a sommelier, and he's just he's entrepreneurial. Yeah. He's from Zim and he's gone down to South Africa, and like his life story is kind of crazy. I mean, he started off working, I mean, I won't get into it too much, but he started off working in a supermarket in Harare when yeah. 2008 happened and hyperinflation you came down to to South Africa and you've kind of worked your way up to now you've got your your own brand but like your own wine brand but before we sort of talk about that I wondered if you could just kind of introduce yourself a bit and and talk a little bit about your your early life and your journey from you know TM supermarket to to Kombucha wine well it's great to have you and thanks for having me on your on your podcast uh like you've mentioned, I'm Tinashe Nyamdoka. So I was, I was born in Harare. No, born in Nyanga, Zimbabwe, actually. But I grew up in Harare. Went to school at Avondo Primary School. High school, I was at, uh, in Nyanga. Uh, so yeah, you know, after school, I wasn't, I was really that academic guy. Uh, but I never enjoyed it. So after my A-levels, I had 10 points. I was like, you know, I'd, I'm not going to try university obviously my grades weren't that good to 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 have the degree i wanted like in accounting science so i said you know what i'm gonna go straight into work and probably do some accounting studies on the side so i found work at a supermarket tm tm supermarket through a mutual friend so you know <laughs> straight out of from school no experience obviously i was put uh, behind in picking at the till, you know, there's the till operator, the guy picking the bags at the back. Yeah. I was that guy. And, and the manager was like, you know, dude, you, you've got good grades. So you, you're going to have to learn the till. I learned the till. And I was operating the till now. And, and, you know, luckily, I think just about that time, Thomas Mikkels was starting a program called the Junior Management Program. Uh, and, and the manager just put my name up there, you know, uh, it went head to head office. I got into the program and here I was, I think then I was 2005, probably 20 years old. I'm in a supermarket. I'm going into a junior management program. You know, the supermarket, there's been 
guys who've been working there for years and they're yeah. not in this program and you know some of them old enough to be my parents and it was, i remember it was a scene it was a and and no one was happy about it like this <laughs> boy is is managing us he just came here now but the manager was there he stood by me he's like guys you can take out your all-level certificates uh and, and none of them had, you know in zim if you don't have like five a labels you, you can't really go anyway so that's how they 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 accepted it so i was thrown in into management at a young age so in a supermarket i knew how to operate you know the bakery the retail staff the ordering the receiving and by the time i left tm supermarket i was actually already working in the in the finance department as, a, as an accounts clerk for the for the supermarket so fast forward 2008 zimbabwe was on a high point station and i saw everything firsthand you know because i was working in a supermarket i saw how the shelves were empty you had the money but there's just nothing to buy and you know so I for those who not. for those who aren't aware can you just talk a bit more about like 2008 and hyperinflation and what was happening to the currency and like i guess you were kind of on the front lines right you're in the supermarket yeah, and there's, yeah. There's just i'll like... tell you i'll tell you one funny story so uh right before that you know i was working in a supermarket so i had access to these basic goods which were on demand sugar or even you know cooking oil so i used to buy obviously as an insider i used to buy then sell and there was one incident where there was this one uh you know those the sugar packets used to come as a pack of 10 so it's 20 kg and there's one incident where someone bought this sugar in the supermarket before they even collected it someone had bought them for another price before that someone had even collected them a third person had, had bought that thing for another you know three times the price so it, it was just so weird you know we had, we had to change prices every every hour every second until at a point we couldn't even put those price tags we were just saying this is how much the thing so that's how things were really going quicker and because inflation was so high was so high you know but the interesting thing is you know your your official pay wasn't in, even enough for your uh, single day's transport to go from work to home, which is interesting, but everyone went to work every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, People were making so, a plan, I guess. Yeah, we are making a plan like we always do. So I was like, you know what, uh, I'm going to check down to South Africa. Uh, I had a friend who stayed in Cape Town. He was like, dude, you can come here. And, and you know, when, when you're in Zim, those guys went to Cape Town, taking pictures in Camps Bay, Waterfront. They were like, yo, this is the life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have there, you know, and uh, you know, and World Cup was coming in 2010. I was like, ah, I'm gonna go there, you know, make some money, uh, watch the World Cup, and be back in Zim, you know. That yeah. was the initial plan. I come here, and things went as they seemed. Uh, you know, I reached in Cape Town. My friend was staying uh, in this flat. He was sharing with another another guy. Uh, so actually, it was four of them like geez how are you guys living in here i'm leaving my house which was a, a three bedroom now i'm coming here i have to share a room so luckily i, I had enough cash i had some bit of cash uh, so we found our own room to 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 rent and uh yeah i settled in there uh and i had my girlfriend then who was pregnant who i later found was pregnant but she was standing staying at uh, studying at uct 
So I moved to Cape Town. We moved in together in observatory. And, you know, once the money started running out, the reality sank in now. Yeah. I was like, geez, I know the baby's coming. Uh, and things were really going back west at home. I couldn't go back now. And I needed to find work. Uh, and obviously, the, the, the first inclining is you look for what, you, what you're experiencing. So I went all the supermarkets, uh, you know, pick and pay and all, but you realize you don't have the permit. Now what's the plan? But as, as long as I love how the community works, so obviously you find out, oh, dude, you need to go. And the easiest permit to find was a refugee, you know, the, the refugee paper. So I went in, got that thing, opened a bank account, went back to look for work and, you know, I have these certificates and, and, you know, the, the funny part was I was staying uh, at a flat where there were Congolese working at a spa. I was like, guys, I've been working as a manager, so I'm going to look for a manager position at spa, hook me up. And they literally laughed at me. <laughs> I like, dude, you know, <laughs> they, they, there's no black manager at the spa. So for, for me, it didn't, yeah, it didn't, it didn't make sense. What they're saying, of course, I, you know, coming from Zim, I'd never experienced it. Like, I'd never, I've never been in a situation where these things happen. And funny enough, when I went, yeah, they told me there's no position for, for a manager. Your experience is good. Your papers look good. But what we can offer you is a position as a baker. And that's 2008. I mean, 2008, so, yeah. So that's, you know, even then. And that's, that's like really interesting. I mean, I, I want you to talk more about that now, but I also want to, in the context of wine, come back to that again, because yeah. that's another very white industry, but we'll get to that yeah, later. Exactly. But anyway, yeah, so, 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 so you go, you know, you're qualified to be a manager and they're like, yeah. oh, we've got a position in the bakery. I mean, how, does, baker, yeah. how does that make you feel? I mean, yeah, man, it was, <laughs> I think it, it was humbling uh, for me. It was one of a humbling experience. Uh, and I, I took the position because I knew how to manage a bakery. So I didn't know how to bake bread. But the whole idea was my, my friends told me, you know, just say you can make bread. We'll teach you how to make bread. And all you have to do is teach us how to speak English. So these guys were Congolese uh, speaking French. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's how I got the, the position. And yeah, I was working there in 2008. If you ask everyone who was staying in Cape Town, probably one of the coldest winters <laughs> to date, even up to now, it's never been comparable. And imagine I used to wake up 4 a.m. in the morning and we had to make sure bread was ready by 7 p.m. Yeah. And I was getting, I think back then it was 8 rand 15 an hour. Which is uh, like what, and like four, no, like how much is that in dollars? Like 40 cents or something. Sure. Yeah, so back then I was told to accept the position because apparently bakers were getting 20 rand. But when, when the wage came through, I was like 8 rand 50. And that was another law. I was like, okay, but I'm doing it, you know. Uh, and, you know, I think it's one of the, the lessons I learned that sometimes you don't, you just accept the situation to make it easy for you so you don't get frustrated. So for me, it was interesting because now I was getting the opportunity to make my own bread. Dude, I, I wanted to learn how to make that shea butter bread. I wanted to know how to make those hot crust buns. And I remember the first time I made my own bread from, you know, from dough to proofing until it was out. I was like going to the office, boss, I know how to make bread now. I need an increase. <laughs> <laughs> 
And the dude was like <laughs> laughing at me. It's like, you've been here for a month, you are in increase. Like, yeah, I know how to make my own bread. I know how to make this. And he like gave me 50 cents. And yeah. And so I, but thing, you know, I knew it wasn't the, the environment for me. I knew it wasn't. So because of this growing community in Zim that time, you know, you, you can't ask around, what's, what are you doing? And I, I soon found out and realized that most of the guys were making money in restaurants. So a guy would come back with a tip and that's my weekly wage <laughs> in one night. I was like, dude, I need to get into restaurants. But I know I didn't have experience. So the guys helped me um, make a draft CV like I had experience. And okay, you know, you just put put my friend as a, as a reference. So when they call, they say this dude. So yeah. So what would happen is I'll go in the morning uh, by 12 would be done. So by one, I used to be out of the shop and there was a five rand an hour internet cafe. Uh, so back then we used to go on Gumtree, drop CVs and, you know, so sometimes I'll print my CVs and go to the waterfront and just go shop by shop and drop. Yeah, and I'd get interviews. But now when the interview came and the questions came, dude, <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> reply. And so I, I never got I never got the chance. I'll I'll get they would call me for interviews, but I'd fail because yeah. you know I couldn't lie. I I've never worked in the restaurant. But funny thing is, so on Gumtree, I had two CVs. So I had one CV which was like the one with the restaurant experience I didn't have, and the one which actually said I'm working in a bakery at a spa. So by chance, one, one morning, one afternoon, I opened, there was uh, an email asking us to come at the Rounders restaurant in Kent State for some interviews. Which was, was a pretty restaurant. fancy restaurant. <clears throat> yeah, like, so I went there. Uh, I'm not pretty sure which CV they picked, the, 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 the <laughs> restaurant one or the other one. So, and now we got in, it was a group interview. I think it was like, fifth of us on that day but uh, you're going in, in in groups of 15 15 15 uh, 10 then yeah we're sitting there they start from the other end you know these guys are talking about chardonnay pinot noir this experience in restaurants i'm like <laughs> yeah i'm clearly not in the in the right spot but luckily when he came to me the first thing he said, oh, you're working in a bakery a spa. I was like, oh my God, at least, <laughs> <laughs> least you've picked. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working in a bakery. Uh, if you ever worked in a restaurant, I said, I've never worked in a restaurant. Do you know about wine? I said, you know, I've never, I don't drink wine. I never grew up drinking wine, but I know there's a white wine and a red wine. But yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm meeting these guys with the experience I don't have, but you no. Know, I came because you guys asked me to came and you saw that I'm working in a bakery. Yeah. But if you're looking for guys who've got, you know, who you want to teach, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm quick to learn and, and I'm curious. So they gave me the, the job. You know, they came, called me to come back again and they say, you know, we gave you the job because one, you're one of the honest person in the, in the <laughs> room. And secondly, we, we so in hindsight, uh, we were like guinea pigs because the the restaurant was starting a program called Let's Sell Lobster. Okay. So so this program was teaching uh, you know people without prior hospitality knowledge at all. So in that group were some were bakers, some were construction guys. You know they come. So they they wanted a blueprint or to teach people from scratch. So that's how I got the job, and I was honest. I mean, 
So yeah, we got in, <laughs> and it's amazing. It was another chapter. Yeah, then I, I taught the the bakery guy. You know, um, I I've got a problem at home in Zim, so I need to go back. Uh, it's agent now because I, I couldn't resign. So I was taking a chance. If it doesn't work, <laughs> then I'll still go back to the job. I said, guys, I'm gone. So that's how I left the bakery and started working in the restaurant. Wow. And then from there, um, to Nashi, to sort of, to becoming a sommelier and then to having your own brand. I mean, it, it's quite unusual. I mean, I'd say you're probably, you know, to, to be a black winemaker in South yeah. Africa to anywhere. I mean, how did that yeah. journey come about and how did you, how did you achieve that? I mean, did you meet a lot of resistance? Did you, did you have to really get to, I mean, how did you really get to know wine? I mean, you said that you didn't really know wine. Yeah, so, so, so wine, wine was when I, when I was, you know, I've always been in a curious, like I said, again, when I go into a, into a situation, I look around, I'm like, okay, I'm here. What's the best can I make out of the situation? And, and for me, when I got into the restaurant, I was like, okay, now I'm learning this, I'm learning, but I'm realizing if you work in a restaurant as a waiter, and if you sell more wine, especially expensive good wine, the bigger your check and the more money you make. So me, it was a no-brainer, dude, I need to learn this wine so I can sell this wine. So it, it wasn't like for personal enjoyment, but it was like to, to, to make money, you know? But in doing so, I just so happened to taste a good wine and I fell in love with it. I'm like, okay, so this could be interesting. So that's how I got into wine and studying. Obviously, after the, the roundhouse, I moved to the one and only, yeah. which was a much more bigger place, uh, much more bigger. Was it like an, uh, that was an Asian restaurant, wasn't it? Or like Asian fusion? So one and only, yeah, one and only had three restaurants. Gordon Ramsay's one when we opened, Nobu, and another third one. So it was huge, man. It was... Yeah. It was an eye-opener day. There was a sommelier team. So that's why I said, oh, geez, okay, there's a head sommelier. There's, I was a wine waiter then. So there was a head sommelier. No, there was a group sommelier, head sommelier, wine butlers, and there was a wine waiter. And again, I'm in that situation. I'm like, I want to be that, mm. <laughs> you know, that, that, that sommelier. How do I go about it? So that's where I realized, okay, you need to go to Cape One Academy. You need to do this WSET. And I, I, you know, my mind was made up. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn as much. And obviously I had people around me, Andre Becker, Eric Porter, who were my, you know, my, my go-to guys. So I learned and I spent, I think, four years at One and Only. Mm. In 2013, there was an inter-hotel challenge. I think 15 hotels competing in South Africa. So one hotel had to put forward a wine steward and the, wait, and the, and the chef. So I was the best wine steward in 2013. And obviously I'm getting a bit of airplay, a media, and I think House and Garden named me one of the people to watch in 2014. And I got a position to work at the Oyster Box in 2014. So I moved moved to Nkhanga in in Durban 2014. Uh, Yeah, but you know, Durban is a totally different scene with Cape Town. So... There, it was a big hotel and there was a lot of us. So I was kind of bored, to be honest. Mm-hmm. There wasn't much to do. So I spent most of my time reading and like really, really thinking what I wanted to do. Uh, and, you know, at that time there was the xenophobia thing and, you know, people saying... The, the anti of, sort of immigrant. Yeah, yeah. yeah, taking our jobs and 
And I realized that impact you? Did, did, did that have an impact on you as a Zimbabwean? Yeah, obviously, at some point, we weren't going to work because, you know, you know, it was too much tension. But either way, we had to work. But for me, it was it really bothered me in a way that I was thinking at that time. So remember when I said I came to South Africa, I was like, I'm going to stay up to the World Cup. And after the World Cup, I go home. Yeah. But we realized things will not get back better in, South, in, in Zim. So it was... I think most of the Zim guys started to to have a different mindset, like, okay, we might be here forever. So we mustn't look to save money and go back home. We must start projects. So most of my friends were really starting their own small businesses. It was like, what can I do with my business? But I didn't know what to do. So I wanted to, I started this wine 263 where I wanted to target the Zim community and, and be a voice of wine somehow. So 263, 263 is the area code for yeah. yeah. Okay. So that was my idea. So I remember pitching it to my friends, like, dude, this is what I want to do. You know, let's let's buy unbranded wines, we'll sell it to the Zim community. But no one was buying the idea. I was like, okay, shit, I'm I'm just gonna show me this. Uh so I shoved it. Then I came to Cape Town now. I got a job at the test kitchen. So test kitchen oh, yeah. at that time was the 28th best restaurant on the world's 50 best. Uh, and it was, I think, for the past five years, the best restaurant in South Africa. So I'm there, man. Yeah, things opened up. Luke Dale Roberts, I was in the front seat. You know, 2016, I won the Best Wine Service Award. The first time the restaurant had won it. So during that time, I went to attend a business school, wine yeah. business school at UCT. And one of the assignments was like, you know, there's a Portuguese community in Cape Town. Uh, you need to come up with a wine brand to sell to them. So it became a aha moment. I was like, but I used to tell my guys, you know, there's a Zimbabwean community in Cape Town. We need to target this thing. So I literally took everything I had in mind and put it as like, I'm going to make a wine targeted to the Zim community. And that's where Kumusha came by. Yeah. And Kumusha, so, I mean, Kumusha means home, right? Or yeah. Like, home, home so, so, so you, you'd go to... If you meet someone maybe in Cape Town that you don't know and be like, oh, dude, you're from Zim. You'd be like, oh, so, Kumusha going in the coop, you know, where's where is your home? Where's your real home? They'll be like, oh, I come from Araro, I come from Nyanga or Blue Whale. So it, 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 it's got a deeper meaning that, you know, you feel it. You, 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 you felt. So I always felt, especially with wine. So now, now here, I, I was so much into wine i'd done all my certificates i'd gotten my diploma kept one academy i was judging professionally you know i'd gone to business school and i was understanding wine in a more intellectual way yeah. so you know wine has an origin so wine is, is a sense of place stalenbosch uh be mozo in germany burgundy in france it, it's always got some roots at home but the problem was how can it be ever root or home if I've never been there. You know, for me, I'm coming from the culture without wine going into this. So I just needed to connect wine to my roots. Uh, and, and even in, in, in studying, I used to struggle with these black currants, you know, blackberries. I'd never eaten a blackberry before, mm. black currant. And yet I'm supposed to smell it. But I grew up eating my janje, my sao, my tamba, and... You know, it's what I was smelling in the glass, yeah. but 
you know, in my mind, I thought, geez, this is, this is not real because I must smell strawberry until I realized, you know, wine is, a, is all about association. It's not like there are strawberries there, but we associate with wine, with fruits or whatever smells we know, we remember. So it was interesting that when I was writing my wine exams, especially the blind tasting, I had uh, two, two line of thoughts. So I would smell a wine and it reminded me of, of home, of this fruit I used to go to my grandmother, my grandfather and eat. Then I'll be like, okay, this is a Cabernet Sauvignon. But a Cabernet Sauvignon, in European terms, you have to have black currants, uh, you know, cherries, dark cherries, and I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> and that's how we would nail these blind tastings. And obviously by then, we would also competed in France with my Zim teammates for the World Blind Tasting Championships. So everything can you, was can like... Can you talk a bit about that? Because I, I heard that story about the blind taste testing and you took a team from Zim to yeah, France, yeah. right? How, how did that come about and how did you... How did you enter that and and yeah just talk about the experience so for years we we it's it's done annually in france so before we used to compete for for the south african team so in the south african team there was one post provision where you could enter into a foreign team like for instance i could enter into a south african team as a zimbabwean but i have to be i've been working in that country for three years so there was one position every year open for a foreigner if you, you are a top taster. But all the years we never qualified. And I think only Joseph Dafana, my friend who owns Mossy Wine, uh, made it to 2015. So it so happened in 2017, there were three Zimbabweans in the top 10, the whole South African tasting championships. And uh, I think one in the top 15. And the organizer was like, but guys, you know, you're fighting for one position, but you know you can make your own team. You just need to get the funding or organize the paper. So yeah, we we said it's fine. So he he made us send an invitation. They said you can come. So we we sourced uh, for money. Luckily, we knew Chances Robinson, the the British wine writer. Okay. So she put up a, a crowdfunding on a page, and in less than a month and a half, we had raised ten thousand pounds. Oh, wow. So my first time out of Africa to Europe, you know, we traveled to Germany, we traveled to France. Uh, yeah, all these amazing wine regions and we competed. Uh, first time around, <laughs> we didn't do very well. I think we were 25 out of 26. Well, it's uh, not last. <laughs> yeah, but the following year, you know, we had a, a master of wine from Australia who was coaching us and actually did well. We did 14 out of 25, I think. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, which is really massive. So, you know, from then on, I just got this, this courage to, to launch my own wine brand. And Kumusha went by. I was working with Ati, Ati from Opstar Winery. He helped me from all the, you know, the paperwork, licensing, and how to go about it, which wasn't easy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he made it easy for me. So now Kumusha was born. I made my first 1,200 bottles in 2017. Okay, wow. So it's been going since 2017. Yeah, so 2017, I made 1,500, 1,200, uh, which sold out very fast because people were excited. 
you know, friends and family were sentimental. I was like, okay, now this is easy peasy. <laughs> the next time I, I tripled my production and that stuff was staying in the warehouse. Well, it wasn't moving at all. You know, I was so depressed. I was like, but geez, how come people are not buying? So I think the reality started to sink in now, like yeah. how difficult and challenging the wine business is and how, yeah, I couldn't get into restaurants. I couldn't get... Yeah, for some reason. So I had to change the whole model and my whole thinking and my whole branding. Uh, so now, what, did you have to, what did you have to change specifically? Uh, first of all, I realized there was, you know, there was this, there was always a perception, especially from among, if I was trying, obviously I say it was targeting Africans, black Africans. And, you know, amongst us, there's always this feeling that people doubt what's in the bottle, like, Jesus is really good and the pricing was wrong. So I, I think I needed to, to change in selling the wine, but I needed to sell the message in the story. So that second year, you know, I was, I was pretty much giving the wine at free. Luckily I wasn't losing. Maybe I'd give it at cost, mm. but most of it was giving and trying to get people understand and yeah. And, and them sharing their experiences. And that's what I did mostly in the second year. And then from there, then, then you sort of found your brand and you, you got your, I mean, I love the brand. I love the logo and I just, I love the whole story about it. You know, it is about, yeah. like you say, about home and about the, the, the sort of, I guess, you know, when you're talking about you, you don't smell strawberries in the wine, you smell something else. And it, but it's, it, for people, it's the memories of home, isn't it? And it's the yeah. memories you kind of create through the wine, which I really yeah. like. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's, that's a really good. Really good, yeah, and that, that was a wow factor, you know. People would look at it as like, especially the Zimbabweans who understand the language of like, oh, gosh, but how can is it from Zimbabwe? How can this be possible? And you know, it is an African feel. The guy who designed my initial label is from Eastern Cape, is a Kosa guy, so he related to the whole surrounding and the whole story. I think that's what made it so. I needed to like really punt the story, and that's what I did. Uh, obviously, I wasn't worried about the quality because the quality I had experienced in, in judging wines and all that stuff. So it, it was there. So, uh, and obviously the traditional market wasn't so difficult to sell wine to because they knew me as a professional, so they would understand. But obviously they had to read a lot into the label. That's why I had to change it to this new classic, much more contemporary look where when I did that, now the other market opened up very well. They could understand it. Yeah. Yeah. But that must be, that must have been quite difficult. You know, I mean, setting up a brand from, from scratch in a highly competitive market when you're, I mean, yeah. you, you were known in the sense of you were known as a sommelier, you had, you were known as knowledgeable, but you weren't known as a wine maker. I'm not a maker. What, what do you call it? Like, yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say a master blender. Or wine yeah. Blender wine blender. Yeah. So how did you how did you get around that? What was like? How do you go out there and and get your name out there and get people to trust you? Man, I just think you have to, you have to be bold. <laughs> you have to. It took guts for me because you you judge, you question, like okay, is it good? But I was pretty much confident that the juice I had in the bottle had to be good, so no one tells me it's mediocre. And I had to make my story straight. And I wasn't coming in and saying, I'm a winemaker. I'm picking these grapes there. I'm spending, you know. So I was pretty straightforward from the own be beginning that I'm not a winemaker. I respect the winemaking trade. 
but what I'm good at is I'm good at blending guys. And that's the most, I think the most important part in winemaking is wine blending because winemaking is science. You know, you put sugar, alcohol, you sugar and yeast, you get alcohol. You mature and borrow 12 months. But the blending part to get this thing in the bottle is the most difficult and, and I'm good at that. Yeah. So I yeah. think I got the message straight and even the critics when they would taste it, they'll be like, this is really good. So for me, the challenge wasn't getting the actual product quality, but the challenge then became selling and convincing people that this is good stuff. Yeah, and I guess that's the thing, isn't it? When it's when it's your business and you you've set it up, you have to you have to be everything. You have to be the accountant, yeah. you have to be the salesman, yeah. you have to be the blender, and that's a whole new challenge. Yeah, it's a, it's a big challenge for me, especially because I don't enjoy most of that stuff. So I think at the turn of this year, I realized, you know what, I'm just gonna concentrate on what I'm good. Now it's branding and marketing is what I'm good. So I got someone, the guy where I get the wine to join in the business and, and be focused on production and, and logistics. I got my other friend who's the label designer and accountant. So it freed time for me to, to really go out there and tell the story without worrying who owes me. You know, how many bottles do I still have? How do I get this bottle from A to B? So, yeah. Yeah, cool. And so how many, so how many wines? You've got two wines now, right? Jeez, now I have six wines. Oh, do you? Which ones, which ones do you, what do you have now? So I have the top tier, which, which has the Flame Lily. Yeah. And what I'm going to call the Huruza blend, which is not yet out. I think it's coming uh, July 2021. Then I've got the middle tier where I have the Cab Cinso, which is sold out, delicious wine. I think it's going to be the mainstay of my, of my brand. Then there's a Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, and there's the bottom tier, which is a Cabernet Sauvignon and the Sauvignon Blanc, which I only do for exports, so I don't sell in South Africa. And where are you, where are you selling? What, what countries are you selling in at the moment? So I'm selling in the United States of America. I'm selling in the Netherlands. Uh, and of course, uh, through liquor supplies in, in Zimbabwe. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, you know, when you came down to South Africa and you were told, uh, you know, you shouldn't really apply for the manager position at Spa because, yeah. you know, you're black, maybe try being a baker to today. You know, it's 12 years, I guess. Uh, yeah. No, well, 14 years. I mean, did you, could you see your life sort of taking that journey? Kind of, yeah, I had, you know, probably not the way it's panned out, but I knew there was a purpose in me. I knew I wanted to do something big. Uh, I had the conviction, maybe that's the proper word. I had the conviction that I'm capable of being expressing myself and you know i've always had the entrepreneurial spirit in me or that that inborn need to like prove myself like you know and this i say because i'm i'm pretty big in documenting yeah and you know when i read back in my journals it's, it's stuff i'm doing now is what i was writing back then you know so it's i was generalizing it and it only makes sense now but then you know, it, it was obviously I knew I wanted to, to make a wine brand, but I didn't know how or how to do it. So I think the, the process, you just have to go through it. But I had the conviction 
and I still have now the conviction that this thing is going to even go bigger mm. because I, I've been through it. So I, I kind of knew I had a conviction of doing something big, but in this particular way, I have to be honest, like I didn't know to pen mm. up this way, but yeah, but I'm, yeah I'm, I'm grateful it did. And have you had any sort of mentors along the way who've, who've helped you? Uh, I suppose a few people stick out in, in, in the whole thing. And obviously the first one is the guy who gave me my first job uh, as a waiter. And apparently he then gave me the job at the one and only again. But yeah, he had a belief in me and I think early on he was like, you know, Atinashe, you can take this as a profession. Uh, and above all, I think Luke Dale Roberts at the test kitchen. Yeah. Yeah, it's been yeah, it's been a big influence in when I when I got to the test kitchen, I, I have to be honest, I was you know, you took me as a rookie. Uh yeah. I was I was a rookie, but I, I had a pro mind. Uh but then, you know, he really natured me and he believed in me in, in tough times. I was like, dude, just settle down, you make it. So I kinda built my my brand and image within the test kitchen and still delivering for the test kitchen. And they allowed the space for me to do that, which is yeah. really, you know, I think he's one thing he told me is like, Tinashe, I like your ambition and I, I like your drive. And the only challenge for me now is how to keep you happy at the test kitchen, you know, uh, and I'm not gonna be in your way of your ambition but you just have to re remember where your bread is being buttered. Yeah, yeah, it's a good lesson. And yeah. so when did you leave the test kitchen? Uh, I left in February. And that's, so, that's the focus full-time now on your... Yeah, on your... you know, it, it had come, I've been five years and nowhere when you're going to work, but you're not really getting the satisfaction you want. And I'm like... I need to, to, to go on a different path. Uh, obviously, it was before COVID. Uh, I, I consciously said, you know what, I'm leaving. I had made plans to go to the United States for the rest of the year and learn a bit and come back and really set up base in Johannesburg. Then the COVID thing just came about. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we we're just stuck. But I think it, it was a kind of a blessing in disguise because it gave me time to like really focus and that's where i decided i needed to rebrand and events started to happen around you know black lives matter and all of a sudden people are supporting black on brands so you know so i think you, you you always some events you never plan uh but they just come but you just gotta be prepared yeah you know you you gotta take the opportunity if you know black lives matter thing just didn't help someone who didn't have anything yeah so yeah. you know i had something which in turn so i think it's been about timing and taking opportunities when they come and and a bit of fortune on the side yeah but could you talk a bit about that i mean being a black winemaker we touched on a little bit but did you did you face any sort of discrimination did was it difficult coming into the industry for for people to take you seriously because i mean even now i guess in south africa most winemakers are white, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, so no, it's it's a difficult space, man. For me, I always take it. It was the obviously you'd go to tastings and you're the only black <laughs> face there, so you, you you kind of feel all right. You're here, but you're not really comfortable. 
maybe they're not comfortable with them. Maybe I'm the one not making them comfortable, but you just don't know, but you can tell this is not uh, a conscious space. And, you know, it took me a while to, to like really integrate. And, you know, sometimes you'd be accepted. Sometimes you'd be just like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to taste, taste and I'll just go. Uh, or sometimes you like really look at who's on the list. I'm like, no, this one, I'm, I'm going to stay out. Uh, but in terms of opportunities, man, it's the wine game is difficult, whether white or black. Yeah. That that's a given. So, but I think as a black person, it's twice as difficult, especially in my case now. Especially now when I have a wine brand, I'm trying to go and sell in restaurants. Most of the restaurant managers are white, and I'm coming as a black guy trying to sell wine. And we know selling is all about relationships yeah. at the end of the day. So starting to build those relationships it, it's it's difficult so it, it's it's easy for them to for a white guy with a white brain to walk in and be trusted for me coming in and you know so yeah it was it's 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 one of those you can't really quantify especially if you're not on the other side you know it's difficult to explain but on the other hand i, I say it as if we know it, we came to this it, it was a foreign culture. So for me, coming up with Kumusha was, you know, at sometimes I just don't have to fit in, you know, in place of saying, okay, I'm feeling excluded at an event. Why can't I create my own event? Why can't I create my own wine? Why can't I create my own space? So for me, you can say Kumusha was in bit a rebellious action, like, dude, <laughs> You know, this is you've got the wine, you've got the grabs, and you know we can create our own experiences and be comfortable in that space, and maybe then reintegrate or something. Like that. Yeah, and I mean, how is how is that different? I mean, you know, and then coming down to South Africa, how did you find that? I mean, you spoke a bit about the xenophobia. Um, was it was it was it a shock when you arrived in in South Africa? Yeah, it was a culture shock. I think the first shock for me was like, how come their lamb tasted sweet? <laughs> when you're supposed to put salt so you know so it was a bit of a culture shock and this is food and everything it was fun on the fun side the clubbing side we hit the clubbing scene real hard man it was you know in Zim, it wasn't like that but it, it was just that then obviously man that that exclusion you really feel it like i say in zim i never Obviously, pre I'm born free, but there was never that really palpable, like really exclusion. Yeah. But I felt it when I came here. Like, okay, dude, this is really, this is yeah, it. you know, this is serious. But you know, you kind of have to be resilient, like we are. We're resilient. We always make a plan, uh, and we always, you know, improvise. But yeah, it's, it's. I think it's a tough space. There's still a lot to be done. Uh, and and my my desire is to to set a blueprint that you know you you can start i've never had government's finance i've never had any help i've never borrowed i've never been debt to create this thing so for me it's i'm documenting as much as i can and, and hopefully it can be a blueprint yeah that's awesome and i mean like you set up something called the Black Seller Club. I mean, was that to yeah. was that to sort of help get um, black people into wine? And uh, could you talk a bit about that and and the sort of the concept? Yeah, man. I think, like I said, for me, wine 
is a community, you know, like what I'm saying is for me coming as a, an outsider, I was getting into a community which I needed acceptance in. And in that way, you know, when you're different, you, you, you're bound to, to get resistance. It's, it might not be intentional, but it's just natural, man, natural selection. Birds of the same feather flock together. Mm. So, but I was like, if, if we, why can't we create our own community and maybe at least be comfortable amongst ourselves and still enjoy wine? So that was the whole essence behind Black, you know, arranged trips would go as, as a community and enjoy. And whoever wanted to integrate with us, it wasn't uh, a color instead, obviously it was the intention, but it was open. But the whole idea for me was, let's create our own community of Blacks who are enjoying wine without feeling out of place. Mm. And is it still going? Yeah, it's still going. Still yeah. growing, I think. Well, it's got a membership of upward of three hundred people. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, Tanashi, you spoke a bit about journaling and sort of, uh, I guess, planning your kind of life through journaling. Do you have any other, any other tips or any other ways that you? I mean, you're obviously incredibly focused. You're obviously incredibly disciplined. You've got this drive that not many people have. You know, I mean. Mm -hmm. To create a brand and to get it out there and, and to make it successful, I think, takes a certain talent. But is there anything yeah. you do in your life that sort of helps you focus or aside from the journaling? Obviously, journaling is, is, is one thing. But I always find, again, if, you know, especially in these social media things and people don't want to put themselves out there. But I'm like that kind of person who will be like, geez, I need to sell one million bottles in, in, in Africa in five five years and write it up and put it out there <laughs> and people are like okay are you sure but for me it's a way of like you know writing it down or declaring so that i can achieve it so it gives me that challenge that dude you said you want to sell five million you have to work towards it and i think that's one other thing and just i love building so I enjoy the build. I enjoy even if it's thinking or so. I'm always consistently looking for something to build. So if when I had the bottle, wine in the bottle for me, the fix was gone. I needed another fix. Okay, I need to export. Now I'm exporting. I need another fix. So I'm always constantly uh, thinking and reading. You know, I, fi I found reading quite stimulating and it gives you those aha moments you know yeah and people always feel they know everything but i think in, in reading and finding out other people's stories listening to podcasts i listen to podcasts all the time especially when i'm running in the morning to clear my mind and, and it gives you a fresh thinking process so i yeah. think the most important thing is generalizing uh reading and researching Jeez, there's there's a lot to learn but I like that. I, I mean, that thing you're saying about, you know, I want to sell 1 million bottles in the next five years. That's also like putting it out there is, is holding yourself accountable, isn't it? You know, yeah, it's, yeah, it, yeah. It's like if you tell other people, you kind of can't back down. You've got to go and, exactly. you've got to go and do it. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, so sometimes, you know, you put yourself up there and you have to like, you know, live to the expectation. Yeah. Like, like people might see me now, like this dude is really loaded. He's, he's been... But deep down inside, I'm working to what you're thinking I am already. <laughs> but yeah. for me, I've given myself that challenge to work up to there. 
And so what's next for Kamusha? I mean, you're, you're exporting, you're bringing in new wines. What are you, what is the sort of, you know, the next five years hold for the brand? Uh, yeah, of course, grow it, grow it big. Uh, and really, you know, in, in South Africa, there's transformation, which has been going on well, but I think the brand can only be a success if it's, if it's huge and if it's economically tangible. Mm. So I know I'm, I'm, I'm not really fixated about making millions, but I think at this stage now, when everyone's seeing, okay, this thing is growing, at some point, you know, it's gotta have economic value. And economic value for me also means that I'll be employing people in different, you know, parts of the business, be it distribution, be it marketing, be production that's how i i want kumusha to grow big that it's it's a it's an economic viable thing really employing and changing lives that kind of thing and obviously now i've launched my digital learning academy like i said i've been documenting everything i've learned so i've could you talk got about the digital, the digital learning academy a bit yeah so i've got a friend of mine who i knew his, his father owns a wine farm waterford uh, his name is rob so when I was working in the rounders, Rob was part of the owners in the initial. So, you know, he owns uh, his part in the RCA. It's a training digital academy. So yeah, in one of the conversations, I say, Rob, my desire is to, so I've been writing all these things in the diary, but I need to package them so that I can teach other people. So he was like, no, I can help you. That's what I do. So it took months, me, deciphering all the information I had into this package they already had. So obviously they had their own learning academy and I had to put my own flesh and experience in, in doing that. So now it's, it's online. It's got six courses, which doesn't cover wine only. It covers brand building, you know, it covers a whole lot of, a uh, bit of winemaking and, you know, how to have goals and how to build businesses, you know, of which I feel that's what you never taught at school yeah or yeah. you never even taught on the job but i felt i needed to do it because every day i wake up in my inbox someone is saying dude we're inspired by you you know you really motivate us i want to be what you're doing so instead of me replying that message every time i'm like guys hey yay cheese yeah that's awesome that's really cool. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's that's that. that I'll, and how can people find that? Oh, uh, jeez, it's. I think if you just search Tinashe Nyamudoka Digital Learning Academy, uh, follow me on my old social networks. I'm I'm posting about it a lot these days. So yeah, it's available. It's six courses. I think it's thirty eight dollars. Okay, for the six cool. courses, which yeah. is like about 650 rand. So yeah. it's like a case of wine for information. <laughs> I like the fact you, you bring everything back to the price of wine. <laughs> it shows where you're passionate. And for someone, yeah. I mean, for someone who, you know, would that be an ideal course for someone who had no idea about wine? Or is that more for someone who's interested in building a brand? I mean, what would your advice be to someone who really was new to wine tasting and was new to sort of... Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously coming from learning to wine, I've, I've put it up in, in ways I, I understood wine, which is not uh, over pretentious or, you know, 
that really difficult. So if you're coming from zero knowledge of wine, it's the perfect course for you, that module. You know, I take you through from the vineyard in how to, to formulate your own taste and, you know, uh, trust your own judgment. Because at the end of the day, you know, uh, people talk about these fancy things and, you know, 90% people are lying. <laughs> They're not even picking up the strawberries. But I think uh, the, the important thing when it comes to wine enjoyment is like the moment you, you know, you, you take away your, your liberty in, in, in judging wine, you know, it's, it's you taking away your freedom. You, know? mm. you can't rely on someone's input of, Okay, so for, for me, it's like, I really don't want to be pushing Kumosha as the best wine. I'm saying Kumosha is the style of wine. You might like it, you might not like it, but it doesn't mean it's a bad wine. So yeah. my challenge is to make something which is acceptable to everyone. So I think it's a good course for, for new beginners to obviously build on on their knowledge, there are some academies I really highly recommend if you want to further and go deeper into wine knowledge. And what would they be? I mean, is there any books you'd recommend or is there any sort of, any like short courses aside from yours? That yeah, you I think that the best wine courses at the moment internationally is WSET, it's Wine and Spirit Education Trust. Uh, it's based in London, but they've got schools all over the world in South Africa. Kathy Madsen runs it with the International uh, Wine Center. Uh, Cape, Wine, Cape Wine Academy is another one which is really good. Uh, it focuses on South African wine and also international wine. You can do a diploma and get Cape Wine Masters. Uh, and if you want to take sommelier as a profession, uh, you know, there's Sommelier Academy run by Jan Vincent Ridon. So this is much more specific if you really want to work in the restaurant and want to learn the trade, uh, that's the best way to do. But if you like one general information, I always recommend WSET. Cool. And Tanashi, if people want to sort of connect with you and, and follow your story, what's the best way to do that? I mean, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, the brand's also um, on. Yeah, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh and and i'm really you know all my accounts are public so i reply to every message every dm uh yeah and i share so i love i love sharing wines i love recommending the sommelier part of me <laughs> so you really see me talk of kumusha wines on my page i'm talking about friends wine or wines that i've tasted i really drink my wine though <laughs> Cool. Well, and aside, okay, just uh, just before we go, a couple of like aside from your wine, what would you, what wine, wines would you recommend uh, people try? Uh, obviously, Opstar wines, where I get my wines. I think they're very underrated region, good value for money. Uh, in Stellenbosch, I like Villa Fonte if you're going up premium. Uh, Canon Corp, you can always go wrong. Uh, the lesser known guys, maybe Savage, Duncan Savage, Savage wines. Uh, David and Nadia Sadi. I like rats wines. I like, geez, I like, <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot. Uh, I like Restless River. So I think with, you know, with wine, it's quite the, the challenge is the more you know, the more particular you, you become. Yeah. So it, it's a matter of, you know, it becomes complicated. So the, the style of wine I enjoy is pretty much an eighth of, what everyone else enjoys. 
but then you know i can always say guys go have warwick it's much more generic it's easy for most people to enjoy Boschendel, uh alto wines like that are easily enjoyable cool well thank you very much tanachi i'm going to put all the all, all your links in the show notes so people can uh connect with you on social media and follow your story and I also, you know, I also look forward to following your story and uh, seeing how it all goes. It's, it's been amazing chatting to you. So thank you very much. Pleasure, pleasure. Sure. So I forgot to say in Zimbabwe, the wines is available through liquor supplies who are really amazing. Uh, and we'll be launching in October in 10 different states in America. The wine is available in the Netherlands through African wines. Uh, and you can, if you're in the UK, you can also get the wines through the Netherlands as well. Thanks for joining me today on the Generation Africa podcast. I hope you found Tanashi's story as inspiring as I did. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, like and review us. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again. And until next time, bye.